Uh, I got to turn this thing on. Pat, can I just put this in my pocket? Is that okay? I put I push record. So, let's put it in my pocket. Is that all right? Because it's recording here, so it's good. All right. I don't know that it's worth recording anyway, but we'll uh, we'll see. Everybody tired of sitting yet? Yeah. Me too. Let's all stand. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll do like Jesus did. Everybody stand and I'll sit. You know, and we'll teach from sitting. But. Um, uh, but I, I was telling Pastor Hernan yesterday, I'm like, let's, let's make an adjustment. I'll do like a part one and part two with the teens. And then uh, we could get some other, somebody else to come into the pastor session. Um, just because, like Pastor Skelly already mentioned, pastors are so hard to, to, to teach. Aren't we a bunch of hard-headed people? Are, are we not? Like, we've already, we, we already know where you're going before you even start. How many of you know that? Like, people walk in your, your, your office to counsel with you, and before they, like, they're going through all the details, and you already know what you're, you already know where they're going, and you already know what you're going to answer, right? It's just the part of a pastor's problem. But um, I've, been, I've been a pastor, a lead pastor in, in, um, uh, in our churches for 20 years. Uh, this will, this year is my 20th year as as a senior pastor, um, but I spent 10 years or or uh, 15 years. No, no, I'm sorry, uh, 12 years. 12 years as associate pastors uh, in in two different ministries, and grew up in a pastor's home. So l- just a little bit about my story. I um I got saved when I was five years old, and um, my dad, I don't know, some of you, some of you have mentioned that you've known my dad. My dad it, pastored in Colorado um, for, uh, for 40 some years. Does anybody know my dad, Dean, his same name, Dean Miller, um, but he pastored in, in Colorado for 40 some years, started a church. Uh, anybody know the name Ed Nelson? Anybody know that name, Ed Nelson? Okay. Um, Ed Nelson was, uh, was a, just a great pastor planted over 40 churches in um in the u.s and then built a god had him pastor a great church in denver colorado and um so my dad my dad pastored in colorado springs about an hour south of there but he had worked with ed nelson for seven years and how that all came to be um my dad was born uh as a brzezinski his last name was Brzezinski, Polish. And when he was two years old, his father, Raymond Brzezinski, left his mother and ran off with another woman and left my grandmother with three kids. And my dad was the baby of the family, and he was only two. So dad was uh, in Chicago, Illinois, in that area. My grandmother just went and got a waitressing job. And Leo Miller was coming back from the war, World War II. This is 1940, this is 1941, 1941, 1942. Leo Miller was coming back from World War II and he was um, going to the Great Lakes Naval Base. He came into this little restaurant, was eating at this restaurant. My grandmother was the waitress. Leo Miller fell in love with that woman and married her and adopted the three kids and then moved them to Montana. My dad was two. He didn't know any of that. 
My dad grew up out in the middle of nowhere in Montana as a cowboy, uh, roping and riding and all the things that American cowboys had a ranch, working ranch. And Leo Miller, as far as my dad was concerned, was his dad, his biological father. Didn't know any different. Leo Miller, however, uh, had, a, had a, a really bad drinking problem. And so he drank pretty heavily. And my father, my dad, started drinking alcohol when he was, when he was very young, eight, nine, ten years old. My dad would, would drink. My dad ended up going, um, at 18 years old, my dad went into a little town to get a job. And while he was there, he fell in love with a waitress, my mother. My dad was 18. My mom was 16 when they got married. They got married. My dad proposed on November 17th under a streetlight. They got married November 18th in my mom's mom's house. And they got married by the justice of the peace there. And... Uh, everybody said they're not going to make it. My dad was, my dad was 18. He was, he was a rough kind of guy. He was drinking really heavily. And my mom and dad got married very young. My mother never knew her, her real dad. My mom was born um, into a very poor situation. Her family, were, were all of them were from Norway. And so uh, she never knew her real dad. Grew up in a, in a single mom home, but her mother was the town drunk in Red Lodge, Montana. My, my grandmother, Sylvia, was a rough woman. She would bring men home. My mother would oftentimes wake up in the morning, and my grandmother would be sitting at the table, her mother, drinking a cup of coffee, smoking a cigarette, black eye, blood on the wall, um, from some man that had come home and just mistreated her. And that was my mom's life. She didn't know anything about a home, a marriage. Um, she had a nickname in school. Their last name was Johnson. And my mom's nickname was Ragbag Johnson, which was because of just her poverty. Um, there was a little bakery at the end of the road in Deer Lodge. Deer Lodge or, or Red Lodge, Montana was a very small town. And there was a bakery at the end of Main Street. And the baker would put out the, the racks of bread early in the morning to cool the bread and my mom would steal a loaf of bread from that for her food and um, so she when she met my dad at 16 they got married and began to build this life together with really no no foundation and so it wasn't long that they had a couple of kids and uh, my mom had two girls they moved north in Montana and they had their third baby, my, my oldest brother, and things were really going poorly. My dad was drinking heavily. He was, you know, 25 years old. My dad was, was abusing my mother. Um, they, were, they were living in, in poverty, really. And my mom was, she was done with it. She was taking in people's laundry. She was taking in ironing just to make ends meet. And my dad had a job at the Chevrolet garage, and he, you know, he was a mechanic, but he would drink away his money. My mother was expecting their fourth baby. My dad went out on a Friday night, 
spent all the money, got drunk, never came home. My mother went looking for him. And early, early in the morning, my mom found him laying outside of the Wagon Wheel Saloon, laying in his own vomit, drunk. And my mother kicked him and said, you make me sick. And Monday morning, she filed for divorce. She moved across town in with her sister. And my dad now, um, going through a divorce, broken, um, and began to just drink even more. My mother, while they were separated and working through the divorce, you know, you couldn't just get divorced quickly back then, you know? It took some time, so I'm grateful for that because while my mom was working through the divorce, she had the baby. But the baby was born with a hole in his heart. And today, they could fix that while he's in utero. But back in 1965, they, couldn't, they didn't know what to do. He was born, he lived a month and a half my mom never got to hold him. He stayed in the NICU um, uh, for, for infants. And a month and a half, he lived and then he died. And my mother and father, my dad, you know, said he was Catholic, but he didn't really know much about the Catholic religion. My mother was Mormon. She didn't know much about the Mormon church either. So they had no basis for God. And here they are, they drive this little baby in a, in a little styrofoam coffin out to a cemetery. My dad digs the grave. And my dad tells us, he's told us in recent years, because my, my mother passed away two years ago, and my dad told us after that, he said, you know, when we, when we buried your brother, he said, we were going through this divorce, and he said, we went out there. And he said, I dug, I dug the grave in the cemetery. We put that baby in the grave, covered that baby back up. He said, your mom had, your mom had, had one flower. She had a flower that she got. And when they finished that grave, my mom put that flower on the grave. But my dad said, I never said one word to her that whole time. He said, I, we, we, were, we were going through this divorce. I didn't know what to say. And he said, she was so broken and I never consoled her. I didn't, I didn't comfort her. He said, I still remember driving away and her turning around. And my mom was only 20, my mom was only 23 years old. He said, I remember her turning around in the seat and looking out the back window and watching that, us pull away from that grave. And he said, I remember hearing her sobbing. And he said, I never, I never said anything to her. I just drove her home and dropped her off. And I went to the bar. That was their life. And my dad came into, the, into the, the shop the next morning. And there was a man in that shop. His name was Bill Wickham. Bill Wickham was in Deer Lodge, Montana to plant a church. And he was working as a, as a mechanic in that shop. And when my dad came in, Bill Wickham met my dad at the door. And he had tears in his eyes and he said, Dean, I had no idea what you were going through. He had tried to invite my dad to church a couple times and my dad shut him down. I'm never going to keep that God stuff out of my life. But this time, Bill Wickham met my dad, tears in his eyes, and he said, Dean, I didn't know what you were going through. I just heard about your baby. And I'm so sorry. And I would love to help you any way I can. And he gave my dad a gospel track written by Dr. John R. Rice what must I do to be saved? 
And my dad took that and kind of threw it over on his workbench. And at lunch, my dad sat down and started reading through that. And God began to deal with his heart. And he had some questions for Bill Wickham, but he didn't want Bill Wickham to know that he was interested. <laughs> so he went to Bill later and he asked him a couple questions. And Bill said, hey, why don't I give you a ride home after work? My dad said, yeah, okay. So after work, he took my dad home and they're sitting in the driveway of the house. And he's showing my dad how to be saved. And lo and behold, my mother walks up the sidewalk. She was coming to the house to get some clothes and some things that she needed. And my dad said, hey, there's my wife. Bill Wickham had never met my mom before. He jumped out of the car and he said, Jerry, you're Dean's wife? And she said, yes, who are you? He said, I, I, work, with your, I work with your husband at the, at the garage. And the Holy Spirit gave him the right thing to say to my mother. He said to my mother, I'm just showing your husband how he could know 100% sure that he can see your baby again. Would you like to know that? And my mom said more than anything. He took my mom and dad in the house, took the old Bible, opened it up, and for the first time in months, my mom and dad held hands and knelt by their couch and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Bill Wickham baptized them. They begin to marriage counsel and disciple through church. And <laughs> they just begin to grow in the Lord. And uh, about a year and a half later, my dad surrendered to preach Amen. and moved to Denver, Colorado to go to Bible college. And uh, outside of being saved, the next best thing in their life happened to them. They, they had me there. <laughs> and so... Uh, uh, so I was born, I was the first one in our family born after my mom and dad got saved. I was the only child in our family that my dad was in the room when I was born. And just moments after I was born, my dad picked me up in his arms. He put me in my mother's arms and they gave me to the Lord. And said, so, Lord, we, we, we give our son to you. We want... We want to raise him for you. And, and I believe because of that, when I was five years old, I responded to the gospel. I had a, a tenderness to the gospel. And I remember the night, there was an evangelist that came and preached. He preached a message about the return of Christ. I was a little five-year-old kid. I didn't understand all those terms of rapture and tribulation and all those things. But I knew that if Jesus came, I wasn't going. And I laid in my bed as a five-year-old boy and I fretted and fretted and fretted and fretted. And finally, I got up and I went into my dad's bedroom and I, he was sleeping. We were in conference and he was tired. You know, he had that conference tired, you know. My dad's laying there and I'm standing over him like this. And I still remember my dad's eyes kind of opening up. And you know how when you're kind of in between sleep and awake, you know, and my dad looked up at me and he saw me standing there. And my dad said, what are you doing? And I, he scared me. What are you doing? And I just started crying. I said, Dad, I need to be saved. He said, I'll talk to you in the morning. And I said, but what if you're not here in the morning? And dad got out of bed. And I remember going over to the little they had a little chair in their, in their bedroom. And I, I can still remember what the, the material on that chair looked like. I looked down there and Dad knelt me down there and showed me the Bible. And I, 
receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now I want to tell you, I don't remember what I prayed. I don't remember, it, but I remember all I knew is I didn't know much about Jesus and I didn't know much about me, but what I knew of me and what I knew of him, I was giving all I knew of me to all I knew of him. And I want to tell you, I've grown so much more now to know more of him and more of me. And man, how good he is. But I got saved and uh, as a five-year-old boy, my dad was pastoring a church at that time. And uh, we, were, we were, as a family, just in the middle of a church plant when I was that age. And I just watched God work in my dad's life and use my dad. My mom and dad were married 63 years. And my mom passed away two years ago. And uh, my dad's 83. And he's still preaching. And uh, dad is, dad is uh, being used of God in a great way. When I, move out of, when I go out of town, dad will come and preach for me in my, in, at our church. And, and, uh, and he's just a joy. And I said that to say, you know, I, I grew up in all of this. I grew up in a pastor's home. God called me to preach at an early age. Very early age. I remember surrendering to preach before the age of 10. And uh, I would go to my dad and I would say, Dad, I want to preach. My dad would say, that's good. But you can't even keep your room clean. Go make your bed and we'll talk about preaching later. Okay, I'd make that bed. Dad would say, go clean your room. Go obey your mother. And, uh, and I remember when, um, when I was 12 years old, my, I just got into the seventh grade. And my youth pastor... He came to me and he said, Dean, I want you to preach next Thursday night at the Laurel Manor Nursing Home. It was an old folks home. And he said, I want you to preach at that old folks home. And I said, man, I got busy. I started preparing. I was, I was preparing a message and I came out one night and I said, Dad, I, I think I have my message from the Lord. And my dad said, what's your message? And he said, I said, Dad, here it is. I still have the notes for this in my office. I wrote this when I was 12 years old. My first sermon Senior citizen serving the Savior. You knew I'm a Baptist preacher, right? When you have a title like that. And my first point, my first point, Abraham was, was, uh, was 75 when God called him to follow. Uh, uh, I, I preached on Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead the children of Israel. Caleb was 85 years old when he took the mountain. Sarah was 90 years old when she had a baby. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> Look at these people serving God. You can't even get out of your chair to get to the chapel on time. You know, <laughs> We need revival of some seniors. Who's going to have a baby this week? Who wants to... <laughs> <laughs> and the good thing was they couldn't hear me because they were all deaf. They just came by at the end and said, you're so cute. They, you know? We got in the van that night. My youth pastor said, man, we, that was a great message. We just got to work on your attitude. <laughs> but just being raised around that ministry, and this is, I want to just talk to you for just a few minutes 
about this, about the perspective of a child in a pastor's home, in ministry, and some things that I believe that we, many of us have probably perhaps already raised your family. How many of you still have children in your home? You still have children in your home, okay? How many of you, all your children are gone, you're raised. You got some grandkids though, amen? I got, I got my first grandbaby. Hallelujah. Man, listen, I have three daughters and God gave me a grandson. Um, and what a joy. But I want you to think about this thought for just a minute with me. Because I, I am a pastor with kids of my own. And, uh, but I am a preacher's kid. I remember when I went to Bible college, I was in college and things just, for whatever reason, things just kind of came, um, they, they, through college, things just kind of came easy as far as academics were concerned. Much of what we were learning in Bible college, I had learned at home. And it just was, it was like, you know, second nature to me in, in a lot of it. And some of the guys that I was going to college with would get frustrated about that. And they, they thought that I was just on some kind of easy street. And uh, I remember one time we were all between classes and I was sitting there and a couple of the guys came up and they were, you know, kind of giving me a hard time. You preacher's kids, you know, I mean, you guys, you guys have everything made. You know, we work for a living and, you know, I had two jobs. I was working a night shift job, you know, so things weren't just so easy for me, but... But academically, they just kind of came easy in college. And, and so these guys were giving me a hard time. And they were just really ragging on preacher's kids. And so uh, I, I stood up in class, uh, at, you know, in that little conversation. I stood up and I said, let me ask you a question. What, what are you in college for? Well, I'm going to be a preacher. What are you in college for? I'm going to be a preacher. What are you, what's God going to do with you? I'm going to be a preacher. You going to have kids? Well, yeah. Well, what are they going to be? Preacher's kids. I said, let me tell you something. You guys, you guys need to write my number down and keep it on speed dial because your kids are going to need me for therapy. <laughs> and I said, I'll help your kids. And, and, uh, but I've always had a heart for the pastor's family and for the pastor's home. And I can say by God's grace, I had a great, I had a great home. And I had a great family. And this is, this is an interesting thing. Remember what Paul said? to the church of Corinth when he said, I wish that all men were as I am. Because then you could give yourself all to the kingdom of God. You know, he, he that has a wife has to be concerned with the affairs of this life. Remember that? But if you were like me, you could just give everything you've got. But then he turns around writing to Timothy and he says, to, and to Titus, hey, let's talk about the pastor. The pastor has, needs to have a wife. And children. Well, well, why, Paul? Why do we need a wife and children if, if we could be single and give everything our, of ourselves to the ministry? Why do we, why do we need to have family? And here's, here's the point. Because the pastor's job is really twofold. Right? Our jobs are really twofold. And this was a great blessing. When I, when I realized this early on in my ministry, I had an older pastor tell me, you, you have two jobs. Your first job is, is to tell people what the Bible says. And your second job is to show them what it looks like. Yeah. That, that's all you got to do. Is tell people what God said about this. And then live it out in your life and demonstrate it so they can follow that pattern. Hey, this is what God says. And this is what it looks like when you do what God says. So when God says, husbands, love your wives. Yeah, come on. Then you need to demonstrate that. 
And when the Bible says you need to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then you need to demonstrate that. So people can see what it looks like to be a good husband and what it looks like to be a good dad. So don't ever separate your family life from your ministry. Your family life is your ministry. You're only doing half of the work if you get up and tell people what the Bible said. But if you're not showing them what it looks like, you're missing it. So this was Paul's point in ministry. Hey, if you're single, you can give yourself fully to God. But if you're married as a pastor, then, then you are now a pattern and demonstrating as a pastor. That's what you need to do. You need to demonstrate what it means to be a family. Do you remember what Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20? When he met with the Ephesian elders, Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem and he meets with the Ephesian elders. And he says to them, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. But you've got to take heed of yourself and the flock. And he said, this is, this is the role of the pastor. He said, why? And he's warning them. Look, because grievous wolves are going to enter in. Even among your own selves, men are going to arise, deceiving and being deceived. They're going to be deceivers. They're, you're going to have persecution. You're going to have, you're going to have deceivers that are going to come along. And, and somebody has to have the opportunity and the responsibility to make sure that our homes and our families are biblical homes and families and our churches are fed the Word of God. And that's the pastor's job. And, and this, was a huge, this was a huge conviction of mine. When, when, I, when I went to my first pastorate, and I've, I've pastored now, this is the second, my second church, God moved us, and, and that was a hard thing. We could talk about that. That was a really difficult thing to transition. But my first pastorate I went to, and I got to this church, and they had had a pastor. They'd had one pastor for 40 years. And then a man came after him for seven years whose wife died while he was in that pastorate. His wife passed away of cancer. He remarried a woman three months after his wife died. And then three months after they got married, she divorced him. So then he resigned the church. And this church had been through a really strong decline. And I didn't know all that. I was too dumb. I just knew that God had called us there. I didn't even know what I was getting into, but I came into I was going into a lion's den. We, we, we were in a church in a small town in the south, and everybody in a southern American town, everybody knows everybody's business. So our church had a really bad name in the community. It used to have a good name, but now it had a bad name. We had debt. The church was dwindling. The old senior pastor who had been there for all those years was still living. He'd had a stroke, but he was still living, and he was still loved by the people. And I remember we... we we got, to our, we got to the house on a Tuesday night. Uh, we, we, we got to this little, they had, a, they had a little mobile home on the church property and our family moved in that mobile home. The first night was a Tuesday night and I was going to be bringing the message on, my first message as a pastor that Wednesday night. Man, we, were, we had driven all day on Tuesday. We'd unloaded boxes and I'm exhausted and 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday morning, there's someone knocking at my door. And you know, I don't know why we pastors always have to pretend like we don't sleep. You know, somebody calls you at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're like, hello? <laughs> Pastor, did I wake you? Oh, no, no. I was just meditating on the Lord. I don't know. <laughs> like, why do we pretend that we don't need sleep? 
right? But I jump out of bed and I'm brushing my hair. Who's at the door? I got to look. I got to put my tie on, you know. I'm running to the door like I've been walking with God since 2.30 in the morning. And I open the door and it's that little old pastor and he's bent over and he's got a cane and his, his, you could tell obviously that he had a stroke. And I said, Brother Williams, what, what can I do for you? And he said, he spoke very slowly. Can I come in? Yeah, most certainly. And I brought him in. He sat in a chair and, and he, said, he said, sit down. I'll just be a minute. So I sat down and he just began to cry. And he said, I'm so thankful that you're here. He said, it's not often that churches get a second chance. And God has given this church a second chance. And he began to weep. And he said, listen to me. I lost my family in this church. He said, I lost my family to this church. He said, I gave everything I had to this church and thought that God would take care of my family. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. Your family's first. Your family's first. And this is the passage of Scripture he read to me. I want to just give you just three quick points from this passage of Scripture. Because I think as pastors, we need to be reminded of this. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. He read that in my, in my living room that day. He read that to us. And I just took that, I took that passage of Scripture and I just, as a young pastor, I said, this is going to be our home psalm. We're, we're gonna, I'm going to live this. This is my psalm as a, as a, as a dad, as a husband. And here's what the Lord gave me from that. The Lord gave me this, that if I was going to be the kind of pastor that was going to have a fruitful work, and I was going to be a pastor that was going to be happy in ministry, and I was going to be a pastor that was going to see the good of the work flourish in my community and with my children and with my children's children, then there were some things that I was going to have to, I was going to, have to steward in my own life. Number one is this. I had to have a faithful walk with God. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, now watch this, and walketh in his ways. I had to make sure that I had a faithful walk with God. Can I tell you what I've learned in 20 years, and some of you could probably give me a lot more wisdom on this, but I want to tell you what I've, what I've learned in 20 years of pastoral ministry is that one of the most difficult things that we do as pastors is maintaining a pure devotional life. Because oftentimes, our Bible time is sermon preparation time. And a lot of times we go to the Bible and we're looking for things that we can give to others. And how can I preach this? And listen, we're missing the depth of that fellowship with God. Right. 
we have to make sure that we maintain our walk with God, that we fellowship with God and get in His Word and learn His ways and walk in those ways in the fear of God. I cannot just use this as this is the book that I am using as my launching point for what I'm preaching in my ministry. This is not just my sermon topical book. This is God's living Word. This is God's Word to me. This is my bread. It's more necessary than my necessary food. This is the treasure. This is more precious than gold that perisheth. This is, this is sweeter than the honeycomb. This is my bread. It's my food. It's my map. It's my compass. It's my, it's my staff. It's my stay. It's my anchor, right? I mean, listen, this is something that we have to intentionally say, God, I'm going to get in this book and you're going to speak to me so that I can walk in the fear of God and walk in your ways. Listen, you know, you know where many guys in ministry have gotten off track? We, we talk about how they fell into sin. They didn't fall into sin. What they did was they slowly walked away from God while preaching this. And this became something that was just, I'm going to take this in, so I'm going to put this out. And people said, wow, that is so good. But it never got into here. It didn't get in the heart. Listen, if it's in our hearts, it'll come out. But we've got to live in the Word of God. We had a, a faithful walk with God. I mean, what, is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say of Enoch? Enoch walked with God. And then in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and Enoch had this testimony that Enoch pleased God. You know, sometimes we preach sermons that, man, our people say, wow, that was good. But God wasn't pleased. Right? Anybody else in here been there besides me? Like we preach and people say, man, that was good. But I'm spiritually empty. I've preached a lot of things spiritually empty. And here's one of the reasons. Because this, this point of a faithful walk with God, this is the remedy to a great problem in ministry when we confuse spiritual giftedness with spiritfulness. You know, God gives you spiritual gifts, and when you exercise those spiritual gifts, that's a spiritual gift. Maybe you have a spiritual gift of preaching, but that doesn't mean that you're spiritual. Yeah, that's, that's just your spiritual gift. There's a huge difference between exercising your spiritual gift and exercising your spiritual gift in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit doesn't come just through study. It comes through yieldedness and obedience and time with God and prayer and walking with God. So here it is. The faithful walk with God. Number two, number two, God wants me to have a fruitful work. And where does that start? Notice what it says. Thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. I mean, God, listen, he that desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good work. It's work. It is work. But watch this. It's to be a fruitful work. And God wants you to labor and then eat of the labor of your own hands. Happy shalt thou be. <laughs> listen, honestly, truly, how many pastors are in the work and happy? Right? I mean, genuinely happy in the work. There's a lot of guys who are doing the work, but you know, one of the things that I've, I've been around ministry all, I mean, all my life, I have sat under the preaching of some of the greatest preachers through the years. And I, I would head, even hesitate to mention names because of all the different ways that guys go and lines that get drawn. But I mean, 
There, there have been some of the greatest preachers in America sitting at our dining room table. A couple of safe ones I could probably say, like Lester Roloff. Lee Robertson. I mean, Lester Roloff, Lester Roloff used to sit at our table, and, and, and I was a little boy. He'd just reach over and eat off my plate. You going to eat that, son? Well, he'd eat off my plate. I remember one night, one night we got finished eating, and Lester Roloff did something that my mother would have killed us. And I literally went, oh, and I looked at my mom to see what she was going to do. We got done eating, and Lester Roloff, after he got done eating, just kicked his chair back. We never were allowed to do that. And he's just sitting at the kitchen table with his hands behind his head, his chair up against the wall. And he just started singing. I care not today what tomorrow may bring if shadow or sunshine or rain. And I'm just a little boy like, my mom is going to kill you. <laughs> but I mean, these, these men were in our home. I remember, I remember one night we were sitting on the, ki- the couch and Lester Olaf said, little, my nickname was Little Dean. My dad was Dean. I'm Little Dean. He said, Little Dean. He said, what are you going to do when you, when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be a preacher. And I remember him just putting his hands on my head. I said, God, keep this boy pure. Put a hedge about him. I remember praying. I remember, I remember Dr. Lee Robertson. Those men in our home. Okay, so I've been, I've been with, but listen, I've been around a bunch of guys as they got older, they got grumpy. And bitter and mean, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I want, I want to grow old and happy in the work. Happy shalt thou be. Well, how do, you, how do you be happy? Watch this. It shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like all plants around the table. Let me just tell you, for those of you that still have children in your, in your house, and those of you who still have a wife in your house, the fruitful work that we do is that it starts at home. And the fruitful work is in the growing of the vine of our wife. Listen, listen this, this is, let me just touch on this very quickly. The vine of our wife, my ministry, as just as a man, not even as a pastor, but my ministry to my wife is to make her a more radiantly beautiful Christian. That's my job. My job is not to wear her out. My job is to help her be a fruitful vine by the sides of my house. And what does a vine do? A vine spreads. A vine bears fruit. A, wife beaut- a, a vine beautifies the house. My job is to help her to be the fruitful, spreading, beautifier of our life. Thank God for a wife that does that. But you know what I hear a lot of people say? A lot of of men say about a wife, man, she's so clingy. My wife is so needy. What does a vine do? A vine clings. I think a lot of times the issue is not the clinginess of the vine. It's the strength of the wall. And God wants our wives to be able to depend on our spirituality to help her to have stability and growth and to be fruitful. That's my first work. And then my children is olive plants around about the table. It's interesting that God calls us husbands. That's the husbandry, right? It's the, it's the idea of the vineyard, and we're growing these olive trees. And olive trees in Israel, these are, these are incredibly important plants. Why? Because these are generational trees. And God said that you had them around your table, and what are we to do? We're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a, that's a husbandry term, bringing them up. Spending time with them, taking, make sure that they're 
cared for and protecting them and providing for them. And then let me just say this lastly. This is really important. But family worship. A fa- my job is a faithful walk and to have a fruitful work at home and then to have family worship. Behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem on all the days of thy life. And the Bible says here, and upon your children's children. The blessing that a man seeks becomes his. I'm seeking a blessing from God. God blesses me. And then that becomes a blessing to my family and beyond. I need to lead my family in knowing the goodness of God. One thing that my dad did that I'm forever grateful for is my dad never made ministry to be a burden. Like dad never mentioned the hard times, but when things were good, dad would be like, man, is this awesome that we get to do this? I mean, isn't God good that he provides? Like, think about this. Think about how many kids are at home and going to school right now. And we're at this conference hearing these guys preach. I mean, this is what the ministry, God allows us. God's good. The ministry is wonderful. This is the blessing of God. Look at how we see these people's lives get changed by the gospel. And man, I mean, I just, I love the ministry. And God, God allowed my dad to have the wisdom to bring us up in a, in a place to worship God. You know, it's really, you know, it's really interesting. Think about this. How many of you remember the, the story of Jonathan Edwards? Anybody know the story of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards was a great preacher and really helped spark in the American Revolution and the Great Awakening in our country. He preached that sermon, God in the hands of, uh, or Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I preached a sermon one time, God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. Preached on, the, on Calvary. But it, it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> had a great title, but man, it went downhill from there. Jonathan Edwards was a mighty man of God, used of God. Listen to his legacy. Listen to his legacy. His legacy in in his children and his descendants, one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 preachers, and 285 college graduates. Isn't that amazing? And here was a man that not only just preached to the masses, but he had a fruitful work at home and brought his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, so, you know, the future wealth that we're going to have is that we see our children's children. And I'm just getting in on that now. My grandson's a year and a half. And he gets on FaceTime and he says, Pops. <laughs> and my wife is Nani. Pops. And Nani. And he talks to us. And, and I've been telling him about he needs to be saved. And he doesn't know what I'm talking about. But he just pops. And I'm like, one day you're going to get saved, bud. And uh, man, what wealth there is. So, so let me ask you this. How, how's, personally, how's your walk with God? Personally. What does your walk with God look like? What does your devotional life look like? Uh, what are some ways that you can do more in your family life with your wife, your children, your grandchildren to invest there, to spend time there, to have a fruitful work there? That's, that's a challenge to us. 
Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for these men and their faithfulness. Lord, there are men who could stand and teach lessons multiple times over on ministry and family and the goodness of God. But Lord, I pray that you'll take this lesson and just something in this to encourage our hearts to be men that fear the Lord, walk in your ways, enjoy the ministry, and see the fruit. Bless these men and their work in Jesus' name. Amen.